life of a long-term multitasker. This is the Casually Profound series, where conversations create deeper connections with others and yourself, where every interaction is an opportunity to laugh, think, and feel fully, where magical moments happen spontaneously and abundantly. This series has discussions that transcend the surface level of what people do or who they are in the outer world. It aims to normalize thinking. I hope for all those engaged in this discussion, including myself, the guest, and especially you, the active listener, we stop and ponder on the ultimate question, who am I really? All while enjoying every second of it, of course. Welcome everyone to another episode of the Casually Profound series on the Size Eyes podcast. Today, I'm here with Lisa Stryker at the amazing French bakery Amelie's in Charlotte. <laughs> it is amazing. <laughs> um, it's, it's very close by to my place, so I always come here a lot, so it's one of my favorite places in the city to relax, do work, etc. Yeah. But today I'm excited to have a conversation here with Lisa. Um, we actually met uh, pretty recently through a mutual friend of ours, Keith Allen Johns, who um, I actually had on the podcast as well previously. So. Um, I asked him, who else should I be reaching out to to also have casually profound conversations? And your name came up, so here we are. <laughs> what an honor to be referred by Keith. <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's amazing. So I hope we'll, um, I guess one thing I like to start out with doing is, is having some moments of gratitude, what we're grateful for. Um, so for me, I think I'm just really, I was actually taking some time yesterday to walk um, outside after work in the afternoon evening and I just spent some time thinking about um, like my job I was like wow there's obviously everyone has their own function has their own roles of what they're doing how they make the company better of delivering on the value etc for customers yeah and I was like wow how cool is this because I'm in a marketing position and no position is better than the other inherently but I'm like how cool is this where I get to like think about problems that customers have and like solve them in as creative a way as possible I get to be on social media for work <laughs> um, you know I get to interact with franchisees about all these crazy social media types of things and how they're gonna bring customers in the door yeah. and so it's like wow these are very cool interesting problems to have and I was just like really grateful for being in a marketing position at a company that allows me to explore that creativity uh, within uh, some guidelines that can help bring value to everyone. So that's what I'm really grateful for oh, today. That, that warms my heart, Sai, <laughs> because so many times people say, I have to when it comes to work. Oh, I have to go to work today. I have to deal with this. I have to deal with that. And I hear you saying, I get to. I get to be creative. I get to work with the franchisees. Oh, so good. <laughs> Love it. You're an inspiration. How about, how about yourself? Well, I'm sitting here thinking that I am grateful for so very many things, but I think what I'll share today, I'm just, just over one year in business for uh -huh. myself as a coach and doing communication trainings, and I am extraordinarily grateful for the people who've trusted me this year, my clients who've come to me and put their trust in me to help them realize 
the dreams that they have for themselves and allowing me the privilege of being a part of that incredible journey. I, uh, I just had a call with someone who's been working with me about the full year and she said, Lisa, my whole life is different. I am different. Every, everything, the way I approach things is so different and it just feels like peace. Mm. And I can't imagine a more rewarding way to make a living. Yeah. <laughs> but I couldn't do it if people didn't put their trust in me. So I will say that I am very, very grateful for that today. Love that, love that. Because it's, uh, I think when we're able to spread our passion, spread our joy, and see the peace and joy in everyone else, whether it's work, other areas of life, family. It's, it's incredible. It's incredible. It's incredible. Love that feeling. Um, well, so let, let's take that feeling all right. of, of gratitude yeah. and let's do a quick like visualization exercise All right. um, and listeners if you're following along you can listen along and do this do exercise it. as do well it. do <laughs> it for yourself so you can relax you can feel every bone in your body feel every cell in your body just relaxing taking a few deep breaths to sink down into our seat, feeling grounded, feeling centered, and feeling completely at ease. Taking a deep breath in and out. And from this space, let's imagine wonderful insights being shared, amazing ideas being thrown around. And a casually profound conversation that we've just had. Soaking in that feeling of gratitude, of spending this morning with each other here. Sit in that moment for, sit in that feeling for just a moment here. We can come back to Amelie's here. Oh, that was so good. <laughs> I need to do that more often. I know it's everyone needs to do that more often. I agree, I agree. The first question I wanted to ask Lisa is who do others think Lisa Stryker is? Mm, oh my goodness. Who do others think Lisa Stryker is? You know, it's interesting. I've actually asked people this question, you know, as I was researching and trying to understand where I could add the most value in the world in my entrepreneurial endeavor. And people tell me that they think I am funny and smart and insightful and a little guarded. 
Mm. You know, I realized that there's a little bit of me that I'm still not giving. And that was so profound for me to, there were, there were not too many people who were willing to give me that kind of feedback. Most people were like, oh my gosh, you're so awesome. And you know, I believe that they really like me and appreciate me. But most people are not willing to give you that candid feedback. And I really appreciated that there were two people who said it not exactly like that. But, you know, just said, I think there's more of you that you can put out there in the world. And, you know, they're, they're right. And they're still right. I'm still a work in progress. Yeah. And I challenge myself every day. In fact, when you were doing your visualization, I was working very hard to just quiet my mind of any expectations and to tell myself, just be here in the present with Sai and have a conversation. And if you really trust that, it'll be profound. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I love that. So I, I guess one thing I'm curious about, you mentioned the, the guarded aspect of it mm -hmm. that wasn't necessarily, that other people didn't necessarily hone in on, maybe other than a few people. Right. How was that journey, that exploration of finding, of, of how to become unguarded or to let yourself be comfortable discovering yourself from this place of unguardedness or from a place of guardedness to an unguardedness? Yeah. Well, it all began with the discovery that I was guarded and that wasn't, you know, the first time I had that realization. It was just one of the first times that someone outside of like a therapist or a coach have actually said those words and so I thought, oh, I just still have work to do. And the fact that I had that response side is so important because there was a time years ago when I would have thought less of myself, like, oh, I'm guarded. They think I'm guarded. Oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm doing that. This is awful. And I'm so weak. You know, that self, that inner critic would have just run rampant over me. And the fact that that didn't happen is evidence of all the work that I've done over the years because, uh, you know, I came from a family and a community and some conditioning that told me I was too dramatic. You know, you're, you're being too dramatic. You're too, so emotional, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, now as a grown woman, I look back and think I was just being me and I was just being a human with feelings, but yeah. not everybody wants to deal with that. And so my journey, I like to call it overthinking things. And I, I really, that's how I coped with trying to figure out, wait a minute, is something wrong here? Like I'm too dramatic. Okay. So then I just went straight into my head and I have a good thinking brain. I'm a solution finder. I'm a problem solver. And I became very analytical and kind of over-indexed on that. So over time, I recognized that I need to get back into my body. And I need to learn to have my own back. And I need to trust myself that I'm just as worthy as anyone else in the world. And everyone's feelings ha have meaning. You know, like all these realizations start flooding through when you just let go. Mm. And recognize that other people's expectations are about their stories. So that's really where my work began and continues and where it's now grounded in helping other women figure out, like dust off all that conditioning and just remember who they are. 
and honor who they are and be okay with that and what I call have your own back and underthink that that's my term because it's just shorthand for get out of your head remember you're you're you know you're connected to this whole body which is connected to the universe and all the ancient wisdom just let it come and when I can do that life is good yeah I, I can feel the this the comfort the comfort in being exposed I guess right when when you yes, talk it's vulnerable exactly it's just a vulnerable place to be so if you don't have your own back you're not going to feel comfortable being completely you and like even now in my mind there's thoughts of you know you want to say the right thing what if you offend someone you know like <laughs> and you just have to learn to recognize that that's just part of our makeup that's how our brains evolved and just notice and let it go and be like it's okay no matter what happens I'm gonna be fine yeah is so what was that process like of going from this transformation of overthinking yeah to underthinking well it was a long and winding road I'm sure <laughs> <laughs> I I now have been able to create a process that can walk people through it much faster but for me you know I was in, on the trial and error path so it really began with me getting very grounded in what's important to me. I'll, I'll never forget, Sai, that I was making a very big life decision and I went to a therapist to help me work through it because I just could not figure this out. I was so confused and so overwhelmed. And I was explaining to her what my mom thought and what my soon-to-be ex-husband was thinking and what I thought my kids, you know, was important to my kids and my, what my friends thought and blah, blah, blah. And she looked at me probably for like a full 30 seconds, just eye to eye, and I'm like, what's happening right now? And she said, what do you think? And I had no idea. Wow. I literally realized, like, I was thunderstruck when she asked me that question to realize I really didn't know. I didn't have a point of view. And that was kind of a pivotal moment when I recognized that I needed to go deep and figure out like, who, what do I value? What's important to me? Because if you don't know that, then you're always looking outside yourself for the answers and everybody's gonna have a different opinion, so you're always gonna be confused. So I started out by getting really grounded in my values and developed that over time and, and my core beliefs about the world, myself, who I wanna be, how I wanna be, and just getting very intentional with that. And then it took a while to recognize that I also needed to stop being afraid to feel things. I mean, a lot of overthinking is an attempt to escape what we like to call negative feelings, but they're all just signals. Someone said to me the other day, I'm so frustrated, I can't stand it, why am I so frustrated about something with a relationship? And it's like, question, why are you so frustrated? Let's talk about that. And people don't do that. They're like, I'm so frustrated, I shouldn't be. Moving on to the next thing. Well, guess what? That doesn't resolve anything, and it doesn't teach you anything about yourself, the relationship. So I'm still in that place of learning to allow all my feelings as the signals and honor them as the signals that they are and just get curious about why they're there and what I can learn from them. And that is huge. Because, you know, I, I think a lot about what creates confidence and what creates self-confidence, because that's what everybody wants. And a lot of it is exactly that. Like, just don't be afraid to feel anything. And you can do anything. I love that. Yeah. Part. It's the, 
I guess so I guess I'm curious what was like tactically so so now that you understood that strategically yes of okay now I can by underthinking things by accepting my feelings accepting my emotions mm -hmm. that's like a mindset or an intention change yes how were you able to go about that journey from a was it more from a, Such a good question. journaling was it talking to a therapist talking to other people combination yeah. of all these different sorts of things there I, I you know this <laughs> I kind of laugh at myself because I thought I could figure this all out by myself for a while because you know I was guarded yeah <laughs> so I spent a lot of time journaling and doing kind of ex there's exercises that you can do that are easy to find like what are your values I just was reading a lot and this is a lot of my clients come to me and they're like I'm tired of reading and watching TED Talks. I need to figure out how to actually implement this in my life. That was me. But, you know, little by little, I did start to integrate the things that I was learning. So sitting down and getting very, just giving yourself the time to think about. I literally went through values exercises. Like, what could my values be, you know? And start sitting with that and understanding what's most important. Like, relationships and connection are very important to me. And that's a blessing and a curse because anything in the extreme, right? So I discovered that that value was important, but also authenticity and really being myself. So I then started to research how to have difficult conversations, you know, because if you value relationships and you want them to be real and genuine, you need to be open and honest. And that was hard for me. I didn't want any, I was a total in that people pleaser mindset. I didn't want anyone to ever be upset with me or disappointed. So tactics emerged over a long timeline as I discovered them. Doing values exercises, really understanding what that even, like what those values mean to me, and then what do I need next? Oh, I need to learn how to have real conversations and be brave. So then I went to how do you have these types of just difficult conversations? And then learning from a variety of therapists and coaches therapy first to kind of heal from some past things that, that I needed to deal with and then coaching to take me forward and something that was very powerful was starting like you started this with a visualization that's brilliant our minds only know what we tell them so if you tell them where you want to go if you tell your mind where you want to go it will take you there yeah it's incredible and so I've done a lot of visualization exercises how do I want to be in a difficult conversation and literally putting pen to paper from a tactical standpoint that's really powerful so things like that when I like right now I've developed a process for my clients and I can tell you exactly what we do for values sure. exercise define what those like literally define them you can start by looking up in the dictionary but then you define them like what's the least uh, definition of courage you know and really getting clear on that and then learning to feel your feelings which is really breathing through it allowing it you know there's there's only really four things you can do with a feeling you can resist it you can avoid it and or you can what is it what is it resist avoid um, ignore okay. like and the, that's a big one you know when you find yourself scrolling your phone for three hours because you're feeling like maybe I can't do that next thing that's avoidance mm. that's a big one or you can just allow them mm. and 
while that's very powerful, it is not intuitive in our culture because we know, like Renee Brand loves to say, we know sad, mad, glad, and that's it. There's a whole broad range of feelings available to us. And I say available to us because they're there to tell us something. And I think the, the labeling of something in a positive yes. connotation can really help in that, right? Because when we, when we don't have the concept or when our concept of emotions are mad, sad, glad, or just like five to 10 emotions, there's things we, maybe emotion, emotions are definitely deeper than that. And when we don't have that nuance of being able to describe our emotions, exactly. our feelings, then I think that's, that's a place where part of like, I think the values comes in. Right, where we can yes, see, like here, to right, it's like here's how I define my values. Here are the words that I'm using. They aren't just like good, bad, mad, like you know, like these basic words. That's right. Well, they can be, but sure. right. But then there's so many nuances and contexts of these definitions that I think we gain so much more depth from the values, from the definitions of our emotions. And I think that's like part of the process of understanding like who we are, exactly. Right. Yeah. It's such a journey of self-discovery. Like, I remember feeling angry about a work situation. And, you know, I realized after some self-investigation, I was like, I'm just so mad and he did this and she did that. And, you know, very kind of a victim positioning and the more I learned through, like through breathing techniques and just emotional self-regulation which is the tactical side of feeling your feelings and just sitting with them and getting really curious and journaling it out I realized that underneath all that anger was a lot of grief that was so interesting to me I was actually grieving for what I thought was going to happen that didn't happen and recognizing that I had this, I had this whole, I had imagined this whole scenario laying out for my my professional career. I got laid off. I was angry and sad and all the kind of surface things that anyone would expect. But that was another pivotal moment in my life where I really went inward and investigated, and I found grief. And I also found another thing that really surprised me was. Um, another layer of how I had been self-protective in my role there and whether or not that contributed to the layoff I'll never know but I thought what a great opportunity for me to continue to grow out of that so I say that to say when you really sit with your feelings and just allow them they have a lot of information for you yeah how was grief because what, what, the way you describe grief there, mm -hmm. I see that tangential to regret, maybe. Hmm, interesting. I guess. Well, there was some of that. But I will stand on the descriptor where I was coming from was grieving for what I thought I was going to have. Like, what I, it was a very, I perceived it very much as a loss. It's almost the inverse, right, of regret then. It's like you thought you were going to get something and you didn't versus yeah. regret is like, like, I wish I had done it, but I 
Well, there was some of that too. Well, yeah. as, I, <laughs> as I journeyed through the self-discovery, which by the way, really sucks sometimes. You know, that's the whole point is to show where your responsibility lies and where your what's in your control so that you can create more of what you want in your life. So yes, regret did find its way to me <laughs> after the grief. Um, that wasn't as surprising to me though as the grief. Gotcha. But the grief told me that my career is really important to me and that I can create a vision for myself and make it happen. And maybe it was just an opportunity for me to be more authentic in my career path. Mm. So I think that's a perfect transition into, all right, so that's how you felt um, at a certain point and then you were making that transition to becoming an entrepreneur, yeah. um, CEO, etc. What was that transition like from going to from full-time job to in your current role right now? Well, I made another stop along the way and okay. took another full-time job, which I really, really enjoyed. And it was actually um, a job that was a very different in a very different kind of culture, different industry that felt a little bit like a breath of fresh air for me. I had come from a big Fortune 150, was very buttoned up, and going into another industry that was a little looser was good for me. It kind of let me loosen myself up a little, you know, seed guarded, and really come into my own and give me the space to do, go through that growth phase that I think I needed to go through before I could really be an effective coach for anyone else anyway. It was a big, it was a big spurt of growth. And so what happened during that time was I found my confidence. I learned to have my own back. I practiced, I was blessed with a boss who early in our relationship pulled me into his office one day and he's like, why do you keep questioning yourself? I can see you second guessing yourself. Why? You make great decisions. And I was like, oh no, I'm doing it again. <laughs> but thank goodness for people like that. Held up a mirror to me and, and I thought, that's it, I'm done. I'm done with questioning everything that I do and I'm just gonna learn to be okay with whatever happens and let go of the outcome. That was a big shift for me. And that is big when you build your own business because you never know how things are going to go. Yeah. And I like to look at it as commitment versus attachment. I'm committed to making this business work, but I'm not attached to any one individual outcome ever, like ha finding a new client or having a full class or whatever. Whatever happens is just part of the journey. It's the overall vision that matters. Mm. I love that, that commitment versus... Yeah, I love that commitment versus, or not versus, but commitment yeah. and attachment. Yeah. It's two different things. Right, exactly. And it's all about that visualization. Like, what's your greater vision? And who cares if, it, if, if I reach my, quote, goal, which goals are just a way to organize our thoughts, if I reach it in two years, three years, or four years, right? I'm just going to be just as happy and successful and fulfilled, and it'll happen exactly the way it's supposed to. I love that. Like, one thing that I thought about recently was the concept of so I think in this world we fo we have a large emphasis on learning mm -hmm. right so we just like we have to all right we have to learn about like basically from when we're born until like college we're constantly learning right and so that's neither good nor bad but we're just learning now then there's 
the concept of of unlearning, <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah, I was, I'm thinking to myself, is that really learning? Yeah. You know, like a lot of it is studying for the test kind of thing. Are we? Do we really understand how to learn? Right, so I think that's a whole different tangent, right? Yeah. So then there's unlearning mm-hmm. of learning what we've, or having to unlearn what we've learned emotionally, yep. physically, etc. I think there's even even more value in what we don't learn in the first place of if we don't have to spend that time unlearning all those things. Obviously, mm-hmm. that's, that's part of the journey. That's part of the transformation. Yeah. But is it, you know, you know, I'm just curious on your thoughts because I think there's learning, unlearning, and then there's not learning anything in the first place so that you're leaving that mind blank, that space empty to only receive thoughts and things that serve us rather than having everything input and then having to keep the things that we want to learn with us and then having to unlearn the things that we don't want to keep. Yeah, I think I'm, tell me if I'm on the right track here, but what I'm imagining is actually what I did. I think Mm. I started to describe that where you just reading and taking in others' information, which definitely has value, right? But not leaving any space for you to touch, like get in touch with your own wisdom, your own thoughts and feelings and what's important to you. And that's that ability to really understand yourself so that you don't 10 or 20 or 30 years down the road look back and think how did I get here (laughs) whoa this doesn't this is not aligned with who I am at all is that where you're going with that right yeah I think like spending more time right because I think we just learn on an external schedule oh yeah especially through the school years through the school years Mm -hmm. and then even afterwards I think we're trained to look at the news mm-hmm. or like follow the news like we have to, like if we don't know what's yeah, going on and you're right yeah <laughs> I'm, I'm like okay like I can either and, and once I actually a couple years ago I started um, like paying less attention to the news because mm-hmm. I read somewhere I think by Mark Manson I love Mark yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I love Mark Manson right yeah I, I think one of his articles um, he wrote that it's you know if, if something has like a, a very quick news cycle and it's probably not worth your time or if it's important enough someone will tell you that's right that's right, right. And yeah he, I think at the time he was recommending wiki news he's like just go scan wiki news every day well that's what I started to do and I thought and people would say did you hear about that murder and this blah 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 and I'm like nope I don't it, it's not relevant to me I would like to save my brain space for bigger thoughts Right. And creativity and resourcefulness and being there for myself and others. Yeah, exactly. I'm right there with you. So what do you think of this side? I, I've been thinking a lot about that whole learning structure and how, because when you're an entrepreneur, you fail a lot. That's just part of the deal. And I'm learning to be okay with that and have my own back through that. And my coach recently said, you know, we're not taught, we're taught to succeed through succeeding you know, studying for the test. And I was always really good in school, right? I would study and I would get a good grade. It was rare for me to struggle. 
but when you go out there and you have to just make it up as you go along and figure out the how, there's a lot of failing because that's how you learn, right? That's how you truly learn. So I feel like school is, the, rig, the, the typical or standard school structure is not teaching us how to think. Critical thinking and then being okay with just experimentation and finding your way. I totally agree. It's so I guess there's two potential beneficial trains of thought here. Of I think one of there's like success and failure, and what you're saying of mm -hmm. there's success through success and success through failure, where we can learn all these yeah. things. And so one train of thought for me that I've kind of trained my mind on is like failure is. Um, it, it's just a data point, right? Like yes. success is a data just point. Fail yeah, failure is a it's information. It's just information. I love that. And, and we've just been trained to only think that success is the only way to success, right? That we have to keep going up. Like that success yeah, is a like linear you're path doing up. Doing something wrong, if you, it's almost like you can only do what you already know how to do. It, but but what? Where's the learning in that? <laughs> it's very limiting. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. And then the other way is. It's almost just re removing the labels of success and failure, which is kind of tangential to what I said, but it's, it's like not even labeling a success or a failure. It's just, it just is. And so then there's no pressure to succeed. That's right. Or there's no learning. pressure to fail. It's just a long, as long as you're learning along the long time horizon, then like, then that isn't that the point? You know, that's like part of the Absolutely. process, right? And it's a beautiful way to live. It's it's just people ask me all the time, like, how does it feel now to be in business for yourself versus in corporate? And I said, I feel so alive, you know, like there's just so much opening up to me because I feel like I had some tunnel vision, you know. But you reminded me of one of my favorite interviews I've read with Sarah Blakely of Spanx. I just love her. Yeah. And she came from a completely different family than I did, clearly, because she talks about how at the dinner table, her her parents, I think her dad was big on like the Wayne Dyer tapes back then. That was the very personal development, enlightenment stuff. And he's, she said that he would ask them every day, so what'd you fail at today? Tell me, tell me, what'd you, what'd you try and fail at? And like, it was such a good thing because it was instilling in them that that's the way you learn, that's the way you grow. Yeah, I didn't come from that. Yeah, it's, yeah, like going back to the like education system, I, I wish there was more, so I, I was thinking about it recently about the, there's a concept of grading versus not grading, right? So in, so obviously the traditional way has been to grade and you're ranked accordingly and that basically determines where you go to college, what you do, etc. Mm -hmm. And so, and then there's the ungrading kind of movement these days, right? It's like, don't grade anything. It's kind of, it, reduce, it reduces someone's ability or output to a quantifiable number, right? So I actually don't think there's, I actually don't think either one is right or wrong. I actually think the quantifying piece of it is a necessary aspect in addition to qualitative feedback, for example. And so I think it's beneficial to, let's say, out of a multiple choice test or whatever, it is beneficial for me to know if I got out of 100 
points if I got 80 or 90 or 60 or whatever it is, right? I think the aspect that is taken too far that breeds this lack of self-confidence or all this type of negativity that we have to unlearn mm -hmm. is the comparison aspect of it. Yes. Right, of the rank ordering yes. of this person got 80, so they are better than the person who got 70, yes. who is better than the person who got 60. And, and then that determining how good you are, what field you can go into. Rather like, all right, if we viewed it as a data point, if it was like, all right, I got a 60 on math, mm -hmm. but I got a you know 95 on creative writing, yeah. right? We should be using that as a data it's point to- Discovery, self-discovery, right? You're learning about yourself, your strengths, what you like, what you're good at. What's wrong with that, right? We make it wrong. Yeah, it's like we've established this rubric to everyone where life doesn't really have a rubric. Well, and it also kills your passion. I remember, like I said, I was very good in school and back, I probably was still in like grade school, sixth grade, just before middle school. And they put me in advanced math class and math is not my strength, but I really wanted to do well in it. But the thing was, you get a failing grade and it just completely deflates you and nobody was was saying, it's okay, do you want to learn this? Like, if you want to learn this, we'll teach you. This is just an indicator of your growth gap. Like, no one ever says stuff like that. They're all like, oh, you got a 60, you know, ugh. And, and honestly, I said, I, d I don't want to be in the advanced math class because it, it felt terrible at the time. I was so young, I didn't understand what was happening exactly, but I knew it felt terrible. And everybody's like, all right, just go back to regular math. Like, and I think this is what, honestly, what happens to a lot of females is they just assume, well, girls are not good at math and science. I don't know if that's still true, but I, I wonder sometimes. But anyway, my point is, school doesn't, I, I think you're, I agree with you in that we need to focus more on helping people discover what they're good at, what they enjoy, where their value is, you know, the value they can bring to the world, their uniqueness and teaching them how to learn. Yeah, that's, I think that's one of the biggest things. It's like, Absolutely. I, like after college, I still don't know how I learned or like, I don't know how to learn. Me neither, <laughs> me neither. And, and honestly, as an individual contributor in the corporate world, I basically followed the same blueprint. You know, your boss tells you what to do, you do it. I was great at that. The wheels came off when I became a manager and that's a whole different skill set. You gotta know how to think. And you have to focus outside yourself. It's all about your team. Woo! That yeah. was such a learning experience. Yeah. We, we, we recently brought on someone, mm -hmm. and I've basically been the like the hiring like hiring manager and like onboarding them and whatnot. Like first time doing that for a full time role. Mm -hmm. It is a lot more involved than I necessarily had thought, and it's but but it's a great. I almost viewed it as like a way of as a way of coaching. It's, it's like, okay, it's, I'm just coaching this person to become an expert in their position. Yes. And if I can inspire them to be the best of their ability and realize their potential in this position, Beautiful. then that'll only help me in my coaching side of helping others outside of the career or professional or work realm, I should say. Uh, they're so yeah. fortunate to have someone with that <laughs> approach. Because it's all about helping the other person grow. Exactly. Um, well, I think that was a good time. I like to uh, take a little bit of a pause. I know, I know like a lot of podcasts have like rapid fire or quick hitting questions and whatnot. Um, 
for this one, I like to go the opposite way. I like to zig when most people zag. All right, let's do <laughs> um, it. And so it's actually just a just a relaxation time in conversations. We're always thinking about what to say next, what to ask next, etc. Yeah. I, I just like to take time and think and just take a pause for 30 seconds a minute, whatever feels natural. Okay. And then at the end of that, I really believe that you can understand a person not just by the answers that they give, but by the questions that they ask. Mm -hmm. And so I'll allow you to um, open up and ask me a question mm -hmm. after that pause, and then we can keep the conversation going from there. All right. <laughs> Questions that come to mind for you, Lisa? Oh, I'm a very <laughs> curious person. But what I want to ask you, Sai, is what are your current priorities in your life? Mm, great question. For me, an overarching priority is to inspire others. So, like, that's part of my like mission like when you said like the values right mm -hmm. I have my own like purpose mission values and so like that's to boil it down that's part of my mission mm -hmm. just to inspire all beings so so that's like if everything falls under that then uh, that I'm good right if, if and it's a good way to um, prioritize I guess my time mm -hmm. if I look at my calendar if I look at like what I'm doing if it doesn't fall within that, I know I have a clear direction of what falls under it, what doesn't fall under it. So then I can make decisions much easier. I can say no to things much easily. So, so that's like an overarching priority. But from a day-to-day -day priority standpoint, obviously work is a big aspect of it. But I recently, through, through journaling, I found that... I'll give a long-winded answer here. <laughs> um, about... So, so let's you know like let's say that the the ten thousand hour rule, you know I don't know how much you want to believe it, but there's some level of work and effort they have to put in and time you have to put in to become an expert mm -hmm. and a master or even a world class at something. And so what I found was, what if we just viewed our career? If we're spending forty hours a week plus on it a week, times x amount of time, uh, x amount of weeks mm -hmm. per the year, in three to five years then we should theoretically be an expert at it. Mm -hmm. So if that's the case, then I've been at this company for three years, as of yesterday, exactly three years. And so or in the next like one, two years, yeah. I should be a world-class laundromat, um, you know, laundry marketer. Yeah. And so from a priority standpoint, I started viewing as, instead of, as, instead of it at just as work, my priority is to become a world-class laundromat marketer. 
So now if everything falls under that, everything that I do, being an am amazing manager, yeah. being an amazing teammate, being collaborative, getting deep work done when I need to, having those priorities within that, having those sub-priorities within that priority, mm -hmm. if everything falls under there, then I'm good there. So that's like on the work side. And then priorities outside of work. Right now I've a, started a coaching business um, as well. And so right now I'm starting to get their ropes you know get my feet wet so priority there is getting clients mm -hmm. and just getting those reps in as much as I can yeah. just start providing value because I, I know I have a lot to provide For I'm sure. not necessarily w focused on the what I'm worth piece of it yet because I know the money will flow in um, as I need it so I'm not too worried about that so let me just help people and everything else will flow afterwards and then something tangential which is also providing value to coaching and clarity for myself and how to describe what my thoughts are and organize things very clearly is I'm also uh, writing a book right now and so my plan is to publish that by the end of the year and so um, so that's those are my like that's my overarching priority and then I you know the work world-class laundromat marketing just getting clients and getting my uh, coaching muscle getting those reps in and then writing the book are my three top priorities right now. Yeah. Oh, I, I, you know what I love about your answer, Sai, is that you're so clear on it. Ah! I mean, most it, people you ask that question or something along the lines of what's most important to you, and they really have to think hard to figure it out. And I, you know, this is what I, where I like to say: you make the big decisions ahead of time, and it makes all of the small daily decisions in our life so much easier. Yeah, it's. I, I guess I, I'll, I'll flip the question back on you. <laughs> what are your top priorities that you're focused on? Well, for me, it is what I call my ripple effect, which I think is probably in parallel to your it's being inspiring. I just want to continue to build my ripple effect out into the world. What One of the most delightful discoveries I've made this year as a coach is how the work I do with individuals just kind of multiplies itself out into their lives. You know, their, their partners, their teammates, their children benefit too as they start to come more fully into themselves. So I just imagine this ripple effect out into the world and I want to continue to develop that. And so my priority is to help as many people as I can through my coaching business, which is about creating clients and and just sharing the value and continuing to find ways to do that. And then right under that, or like, I guess not under it, but along the lines of the, my top three, say, is maintaining all my relationships with my husband. I ha we have five young adult children and we have living parents and there's a lot going on in our families. And so really staying focused on the fact that, yes, my business is very important to me, but relationships and connection are what I'm all about. And so making sure that I'm being very intentional about breaking away from work and spending time with my family and also my friends and getting that social time because recharging is what gives you the energy to keep putting out the value into the world. Mm. So my life is very clear right now. It's really those two things that are the big buckets and that makes decisions really easy for me too. It's. It, I think the number one thing is like clarity. Number one. 
Number one, and really, here's what it all boils down to. Oprah Winfrey says all the time, I love her um, Super Soul podcast, and she always opens it with time. The most important the gift we can give ourselves is time. And I couldn't agree more. If you just take the time to really think about the things we've been talking about, what's truly important to you, who you are, who you want to become, and get really clear on that, the, all that overthinking goes away because you, you just are true to yourself and decisions become so much easier and you have your own back. So not everybody's going to like it and that's okay. Hmm. Is, I guess with your business, so I guess like I've had a viewpoint, let's say even before, so when I started the business, but before I've like had any clients, mm -hmm. I thought, let's say I want to like grow the business and then scale the business to where I'm like CEO, but then like there's a lot of people working um, with me and like having a lot of wide scale impact. Mm -hmm. Now part of me is like, okay, I want more of a lifestyle business where I can, I, don't, I just need to work 20, 30 hours a week. I can write for fun. I can, you know, go on long hikes and whatever, yeah. do all these types of things and travel. Isn't that interesting? Right. So I'm curious what, where, if, if that was a spectrum, where along the spectrum do you see yourself business, do you see your business fitting in within the context of your life? It's sort of a blend of what you just said. I'm, I was listening to you and thinking about that. And my long-term vision is to develop a business where I could have, I have my own coaching methodology and I train coaches to work in my business. And so it will be a lifestyle business for me that also continues to multiply that ripple effect out into the world. So to me, that's the best of both worlds. Mm. I'm also a lot long, further along in my life than you are, so <laughs> my, the rest of my runway is a little shorter, so I know that I want to build my business to a place where I can continue to really touch, have impact in people's lives, but also be able to enjoy my later years with my family and friends and not be completely devoted to the business. So have a really solid business that I don't have to work in all the time. Mm, I love that. I guess one thing you mentioned was about, one word that you mentioned in the previous answer was about recharging. Mm -hmm. How do you view that? How do you define it? And how do you personally recharge? You know, I've been also thinking a lot about that catchphrase like self-care and I think a lot of people associate that with big grand gestures you know I've I don't have time for self-care like because they think it means you have to take a bubble bath or a spa day or a hike in the woods for an hour but I've started to look at self-care as something that I do throughout the day every day and it really has helped a lot with my energy management like recharging myself so in other words it has a lot to do with how I talk to myself what I believe about myself and my work and I realized that when I can get in a really good place with that everything is just not I'm not gonna say it's not hard work but it's done with ease and when you are moving through your life with ease that you stay more charged throughout the day 
Now, that being said, I am often tired at the end of the day because it's a lot of thinking power. Like, you know, what I call super thinking, making decisions for the business, for my clients, for my potential clients. And what I love, my husband and I recently got a boat and we love spending time on Lake Wiley. It, it is, it's like a mini vacation. So we just jump on the boat and go cruise around for half an hour at the end of the day and it washes all the, like, we like to say all our stress just floats away on the lake breezes. And when I can't do that, I really just like to be out walking. Walking is one of my favorite things to do. Love that. It's, yeah, I mean, like what you said about the tired, I think we have a, like, almost a stigma towards being tired. Yes. Right? Like you don't want to admit it. Yes. Like, or if it's like, it's like, oh, I'm tired. I don't want to do this. And mm -hmm. I, I think it's, it's almost like, so like I've heard, I don't know if you've heard of Sadhguru. Um, his name is Sadhguru. S-A-D-H-G-U-R-U. I don't think I have. He's like a Indian, like, yogi, mystic. Uh-huh. But he also has, like, a large, like, foundation that helps people um, go into yoga, meditation, that type of stuff. Okay. And w one thing he mentions is about the difference between pain and suffering. And I'll bring this back to tired oh, yes. as well. And so, because, like, pain, he says, is a, is a necessary physical sensation that we have perception that is necessary for us right if we touch a hot stove yeah. that is pain yeah. right but then we translate the pain into suffering and so suffering is more of an emotional reaction to the physical perception of pain now like bringing this to tired I think tired is also is a is a data point is a physical bodily data point that we should be receiving it's like oh we have I have bags under my eyes I need to <laughs> Yeah. I need to get some rest That's or I'm, I'm tired let me get some rest let me do meditation let me not t take time to do nothing like all these mm -hmm. sorts of things and I think we view tired as the equivalent of suffering rather than just a bodily data point and oh, this is so good <laughs> I don't know where I heard this but I have it in my mind pain is part of life but suffering is optional so it's right along what you're saying and as I'm listening to you I'm like you know what that's what we do to ourselves we get tired and then we pretend like we push that aside and we try to power through and hustle 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 and that's suffering or we judge ourselves for being tired one thing I will say is I, I have a lot more respect for sleep these days when you say recharge that was I was thinking I got myself an eye mask and earplugs and I sleep really well now and it's become a really important part of my life. It's, I mean, we spend a third of our life doing it, so it's <laughs> might as well. It's necessary. It's yeah. just, we try, yeah, I think it, in our culture, we try to dismiss the importance of rest and that's how you recharge. You just rest your mind, rest your body. It's, it's, and I found that like, it's also, I think, a balance between the two, like mind and mind and body there's other aspects but like let's say mind and body it's like I think we're I can feel I just have a better intuition now than like let's say I did a couple years ago of okay now I need to like recharge my mind by exerting physical exercise so like I'll so like taking a walk running working out doing whatever so I can almost relieve my mental energy 
to let it recharge so I can do physical stuff. But I think the the That's issue, good. but the issue now is like we've spent time, or we're physically and, or sorry, I think we're mentally exhausted. Like let's say at work, let's say at a job that we're not fulfilled at, and then we go home, and then we exert more mental pressure by scrolling through social media, like having emotionally draining conversations maybe and all these types of things we're just like more and more mental and emotional overwhelm and then and then that translates to physical overwhelm but then if we just like like i like recharging i gain energy by working out right it's amazing isn't it's, it yeah sometimes i feel at the i know exactly what you're talking about i'll feel really kind of just lazy and Tired at the end of the day, and, and I think it's exactly what you're saying because I, I talk to myself and say, just go for a walk, and you feel so much better because I think it is that mental exhaustion. So I just need to get out of my head and just live in my body for a while. Mm. I love I that. Completely agree. <laughs> That's so good. What a, what a great observation. I think you're 100% right. It, I guess I'm curious on the. One thing you said at the beginning was about like, actually, in my answer of like the gratefulness about uh, um, like I get to. So, I guess how have you seen that play out in your life? But also, I think I'm curious on in like the life of your clients, let's say, of whatever you can share of like how that transformation happens. What sort of state are people in before? How do they get? from the state of whatever, wherever they are to that state of I get to? Mm. Well, I can say just for myself, it's really retraining the way, your perception of the world. You know, I, I definitely came from a victim mindset where I felt like everything was happening to me. And when I started, I don't can't say I adopted that, ooh, I get to do this right early on but over time it has just become the way I look at things and even I'll say I even apply it to mundane things like oh I get to just relax and do the dishes right now I mean I can't say I'm like that every day <laughs> you know I'm human right but I'm, when I'm really being my best self I just say wow I'm so lucky to live in this house that I and I get to take care of it you know I get to take care of my my animals it's been I've applied it to my money mindset now. Oh my gosh, I'm so fortunate to have the money to pay for this really expensive vet visit <laughs> to take care of my animals, you know, right. things like that. And as far as my clients go, it a lot of them come to me just simply not understanding our negativity bias, our primitive drive, you know, like what my coach calls the motivational triad. We try to avoid pain and have pleasure and do things that seem most efficient and use the least energy. So I always start off our coaching engagement by saying, look, we're programmed to be lazy <laughs> and to look for instant gratification and not want to deal with painful things. Like that's a survival mechanism. And and here's the best part about that. You can love that part of yourself because it protects you. Like you said, pain teaches you don't touch the hot stove, right? So we start from there and, and just develop a baseline education about how our minds work. And, th and that offers people so much relief because they think something's wrong with them. 
you know, because they want to be lazy or they are drawn to social media for hours a day. I'm like, look, you, you know, we're going against our survival instincts here, so it just takes a lot of intentionality. Our brains were built for surviving, not thriving in this modern world. So yeah, it really begins a lot with that. And then they go, we do the whole, all the things we've talked about, understanding themselves and their values. And it, it's not anything that I have to teach them, Sai. It just comes with this stuff. They start to change the way they look at the world. And under, when you understand how much is within your control and how, how, how to be empowered, how to empower yourself, and you stop, you realize that life is actually happening through you, you get to do a lot of things. <laughs> it's it's almost like it's almost a game. Yeah. It's like it's like so. Yes. So I have this like the the timeline of let's say intentions or thoughts that I have mm -hmm. into them actualizing. Mm -hmm. I've felt that that timeline has like gotten shorter and shorter in in both aspects. For example, for whatever reason, I. I have this like mental image sometimes of like me having something in my grasp and like sli it's slipping out of my hands and then like it's spilling or something like that. Mm -hmm. And then so I've, I've had that a few times, like for whatever reason, that thought has come into my head and like sometimes when I leave my apartment, I like, I quickly have like this point zero 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 one second thought of something spilled on the carpet at, at my home. So I'm like, all right. So then I visualize, all right, let me hold on to something. Like, let me intentionally visualize me holding on to something, grasping yeah. it, so I, so I don't put that other thought in my head. Right. And then, of course, yesterday, uh, I, got, I got dinner, and then I was eating it, um, and as, as I was putting it away, the, um, it was some, like, side dish. It was, like, some Brussels sprouts or whatever. It, it, a little, it had a little bit of liquid in there, too. Uh-oh. Yeah, I know. It, it spilled. <laughs> it spilled. I was like, here we... And I was like... I just started laughing. Good for you. Because <laughs> no. our minds create what we imagine. Exactly. And I was just like, oh, this is hilarious. Like, I, I knew this was coming because I had been planting the seed That's right. through that time. And I was like, all right, it finally happened. At least it's done now. Yeah, exa exactly. So let me just like hold on to things now. <laughs> so oh, I was I like, as that. I was That's bringing this. simple example. Yeah. <laughs> and I was, as I was bringing this uh, Amelie's cup here, Good I was coffee. like, yeah. yeah, hold it, hold it, hold it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> We're, we hold things now. We don't spill things. Yeah. <laughs> I love that side because it's such a simple, specific example of really how the world works. And when you recognize that and you can laugh at yourself like, oh, I just created that spill. Well, just imagine what else you can create. Yeah, I love that. It's Incredible, right? Yeah. <laughs> it gives me chills. I know. <laughs> I guess, is there... Anything else that, as we start to wrap up here, anything else that is on your mind that we haven't talked about that you want yeah, to share? Like we covered a lot of ground. <laughs> and there's infinitely more topics that we there haven't are. covered. We could probably <laughs> talk all day. Um, I think the most profound discoveries I've made recently in my journey of really building my own self-confidence, my own failure resilience, um, my own vision of what success means for me and the, the message that I want to share with everyone is that it has everything to do with how you think about yourself everything to do with 
of that. And you are not alone. When you think that, no, like you look at someone who's your idea of successful and you think they never have self-doubt and they never question themselves and they're just born with confidence, that's all a lie. We, you know, we have different degrees of conditioning that may help us and serve us more, some more than others, but it's within anyone's reach to really focus on believing in themselves and tapping into that just incredible universal wisdom that's a part of all of us. It's available. Hmm. I, I think that's a perfect way to conclude. I wholeheartedly agree. Um, this is an amazing conversation, hopefully first of many. <laughs> Absolutely, anytime. Yeah, I love it. Well, appreciate it, everyone, for listening to another episode of the Size Eyes podcast and the Casually Profound series. And I will see you all next time.